The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well. Or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc here on Voice America Sports. I'm very pleased to welcome in Matt Norlander, lead writer for CBS Sports College Basketball. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on. It's a great time of the year. The season is kind of you know fully in swing as we before we get to the March push. Uh, February is always very interesting and. Uh, yeah, man, I'm ready to go. Let's talk hoops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a great time to have you on. And uh, it's funny, a lot of teams in February have trouble keeping up with uh, conference play, and teams are playing each other twice. Uh, and it looks like some teams can slip in February, and Oklahoma State is one of those teams. They're 2-6 and six in their last eight. Marcus Smart is suspended for three games in his first game out. They uh, they head down to Austin, I believe, and uh, Texas uh, hands them a big loss. So what's wrong with Oklahoma State? Because they were one of the top ten teams in the nation earlier this year. They have three top-tier players, LeBron Nash and Marcus Smart. So what's going on with uh, Oklahoma State down in Stillwater? Listen, I mean, it's been an interesting season because they were considered in the preseason to actually, by some, be the favorite in the Big 12. Um, and win that league and kind of usurp Kansas. Um, and when you think about that and the final four hopes they had, think about Marcus Smart being a guaranteed top five pick last year. And now we're in the middle of a three game suspension for Smart. OSU has lost five straight, six of seven, four and seven in the Big 12. And really, they're in the tournament right now, but at best, a 10 seed, at best. And they got plenty of tough games ahead. Um, it's kind of all falling off, and it hasn't just been the smart stuff. I mean, they lost Michael Cobbins, their big man, earlier in the year. He was a really valuable guy in the interior. Um, and not having him kind of, in my opinion, prevented Oklahoma State from being being a Final Four team going forward. Um, just that level. Not that they couldn't make a Final Four, but with him, I thought they would have had a much better chance. And then we saw what they did. They had to get rid of Stevie Clark, who was arrested twice this season. Uh, losing him absolutely hurts. So with all of that and seeing how the defense has really depreciated over the past three weeks, it's a team in some turmoil overall. Um, and now it's got to hope it salvages its season and can get a single-digit seed and maybe win a tournament game. It's, it's kind of crazy how that can happen yeah. and how perspectives and expectations can change. But they do, and uh, Oklahoma State's in a bit of trouble here. Now they're going to they're gonna be better when Smart gets back. I really think he's going to come back strong and be an improved guy overall, you know, from performance to how he handles himself. But... Um, but they got to hope. I mean, they get home games still against Kansas, Kansas State. 
they've got to win at least one of those. And really, they would be really, I would benefit them in such a huge way if they can win both of those in terms of seeding and confidence going into the NCAA tournament. Right. Uh, they do have TT, uh, Texas Tech, TCU. So they do have some winnable games. I do see them getting in as well. And no team really wants to play Oklahoma State because another year of experience for Smart. They're a dangerous 10th seed, and the uh, the two seed, I think, would have uh, its, uh, its work cut out for them in the second round there. Uh, a team that is really kind of surprising me and a team I didn't really think at, at the beginning of the season would really emerge from the Big 12 is the Texas Longhorns and Rick Barnes. And I looked at their basketball team, and to be honest, I've, I watched Texas play Kansas, and I watched them play Michigan State. They're a very good home team, but they don't have an elite scorer. I don't think any player on their team averages more than 14. Can you tell us about Texas, and are they a real team to watch out for in the Big 12? and can they make some noise come March? I don't think so. Uh, I think they're a solid team. They're going to get into the tournament, uh, but I'm not expecting too much noise, so to speak. You know, at best, I think they're going to be a six seed, which, by the way, is totally commendable. A lot of people did not think Texas would be in the tournament this year. Um, They don't have a go-to score. Jonathan Holmes missed uh, the most recent game that went over Oklahoma State due to injury, but... You know, you think he'll be available going forward. Cameron Ridley is really the guy to me. He's a sophomore big man. He's got maybe, you know, 15 pounds of of, uh, of baby fat on him, so to speak. <laughs> uh, that if he sheds and gets into really good shape in yeah. this off season for his junior year, honestly, I think he could be a third team All American next year. I think he's got that much natural talent and he's that good for them. Um, but. I mean, Felix is a is a solid player, not a go-to scorer. You hit the nail on the head there. They just don't have one of those guys. Right. I don't love their depth overall in terms of who they have coming off the bench. Um, it's not, you know, a weak, weak bench, but I just don't think it's strong enough to allow them to make some big-time impact going forward. I just don't think their offense is good enough to, um, to be able to beat the best of the best in, in kind of in reaching a Sweet 16. Right on. Um, and, and now we look at uh, a team that that is my this is my favorite Big Twelve team to watch, and they play such an NBA style. The Iowa State Cyclones, the best con- non conference pretty much in America, beating BYU, Michigan, and the Iowa win was unbelievable. They kind of sneak up on you uh, as games are going down the stretch. You know, they kind sometimes they'll get outplayed, but. The three-pointer has been an equalizer, but something about Iowa State is they don't really have a true point guard, and I don't know if they have enough depth. What do you think about Iowa State? Because they're right in the middle of the Big 12, and they're not performing as well as they did, let's say, in November and December. Um, Their lack of depth doesn't concern me, because I think depth helps you win conference regular season championships, but doesn't really mean much come the tournament, because... Really, any team worth its salt is probably only using seven guys anyway. And so I think they're going to be in fine shape when they get to the tournament because of the talent that they have. They don't have a true point guard. I agree with you there. But DeAndre kane has been so good overall that I don't really think they've got uh, really any issues in his ability to be a point guard that can distribute and score. I mean, between him, Melvin Edgem, and George Nyang, They've got three guys who can really hurt you on a given night, and that's a nice commodity to have. A lot of guys don't. Ha- a lot of teams do not have that. Arizona doesn't have that. They don't have three players who can hurt you big time on a given night. In fact, Brandon Ashley was one of their biggest, and he's out for the rest of the year. 
it's really Nick Johnson. If Nick Johnson's off, then they might have to beat you purely with defense. Iowa State doesn't have to worry about that. They're good on both sides of the ball, a little better on offense than on defense. The defense is still pretty solid overall. They've hit, you know, they've hit uh, that three-game losing stretch in mid-January in the Big 12. I never really lost faith in that. And, and by the way, their loss at West Virginia, it was bad, but it was almost just like burn the tape, move on, don't worry about it. I, it might affect their seeding maybe, but West Virginia has some good wins overall as well. So I think they're uh, they're in good shape, and they are a Final Four. I don't even know if they're a dark horse because a lot of people are aware of them, but. Um, like if they end up being a a three seed, they're going to be a three seed that I think a decent amount of people will have no problem putting into the final four. Wow! So uh, you bring up a lot of interesting points about Iowa State, and and it seems like you're really it seems like they could be the lead eight team to you. That would be a surprise. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I, I I do, and given the talent they have, even though they're not that deep, I mean, I I, I really do like their chances at getting to an elite eight. Certainly, and if they get the right matchup of final four, it's definitely not another question. Yeah, something that you mentioned there in your answer was you went to Arizona and uh, they have Aaron Gordon, who's a great player down low, who who alters shots, but he's not really that polished at creating his own shot. And uh, and then they have Nick Johnson, who you mentioned, who's a very clutch player. But do, is Arizona a little overrated? Do you see them as a Final Four caliber team, or are they prone to slip up versus a very good offensive team? What do you think well, of the Wild? Well, I, I don't think they're overrated because I actually thought a lot of people were pretty reasonable with them throughout the season in terms of how solid they were. I mean, they still have the best defense statistically on Ken Palm in the country, and it's been that way for most of the year. Uh, Nick Johnson's a really good player in terms of being a smart shot taker and a good shot maker. Uh, I really like what he has. I think TJ McConnell is the best point guard Sean Miller's ever had for his system at Arizona. But Aaron Gord's not reliable from the foul line, isn't a great shooter, obviously a really nice defender and a good hustle player. And, you know, he's good for 12-8 and eight a game, and that's fine right now. Um, overall, I don't love Arizona's chances of getting to the Final Four anymore because I really did love what Brandon Ashley did. He was, you know, in my opinion, their most purely talented offensive player that they had. And he's gone, and he brought good size. So, at worst, Arizona's probably going to be a two unless they really, unless the bottom came out on them, uh, which I don't think it will. I mean, they recovered from that loss with two wins at home over the Oregon schools. And there's a big one Friday night at Arizona State, which they could drop. I mean, they could definitely lose that. We'll see. But uh, overall, I think they're pretty properly viewed. So a team I want to mention now, switching gears here, is I, I can't believe the Michigan Wolverines are ten and two in the Big Ten. I mean, I watched their game versus Duke, and after McGarry went out, I mean, how could you explain Michigan State going ten and two? Are you just as shocked as I am? What is your view on the Wolverines yeah, right no, now? Pretty shocked. I, I actually wasn't high on the Wolverines all season long from the start um, through now. Actually, even I'm still. I mean. I was never big on Ohio State either, so their win at Ohio State is nice. But don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm not still not overly impressed. Um, yeah, no point. Their point. Their, sorry, they've done it. sorry. Their 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 point guard play and their and they they don't really have a center either. You know, if you look at Michigan, right? And and a lot of college basketball teams don't. They've been able to win without that. I mean, it's a younger team, and I think that's why. You know, Jordan Morgan's the only senior, and so and he's he's a nice player, but he's nothing too outstanding overall in the in the grand scheme of things. So they're going to make the tournament. They're going to have a fairly nice seed. I mean, their non-conference isn't that great. Florida State's their best win, and Florida State's probably not making the tournament to be honest. So their best wins will be in league, 
in my opinion, Michigan's the kind of team that could end up with a five seed and would be ripe to be picked off in that 12-5 game. It happens every year, and uh, I just, I don't, they have a very effective offense, but I don't totally trust it, as weird as that sounds, and their defense is obviously suspect as it is because they lack size. In addition to Nick Stauskas, in some spots and some spurts this year, he's almost, I don't know, hes I haven't liked what I've seen. Like, he's taken himself out of the game while he's on the floor in a, in a sort of a weird way. Not consistently, but it's happened in a few places. So, uh, overall, I'm not buying into Michigan as being a team that's, you know, seeking the Sweet 16 and can get there with some ease. I have some reservations about that. A team that started off hot in the in the Big Ten as well was Ohio State, and they were one of the uh, top four teams in the country. And they even went down to Michigan State, and and they played a tremendous game coming back in the last five minutes. Ever since then, they had a horrid January, and then last night they looked like they were in control in the first half versus Michigan. What is the ceiling for this Ohio State club? Uh, again, I was not big on them because they just seriously have issues scoring the ball. They don't have a go-to score. Quentin Ross and Lenzel Smith are nice in some spots. Shannon Scott is a valuable little junior guard that they have. Um, but overall, uh, I mean, serious concerns. To me, like, I consider Ohio State like an 8 or 9 seed with what they have. They're going to probably be higher than that overall. Probably, because I think they're going to get some wins still going forward in Big Ten play that's going to allow them to, to be higher than that, but their non-con isn't that impressive. Their best win, honestly, is at Marquette, who is not even getting close, close to tournament consideration. So uh, consider me even more down on the Buckeyes than I am the Wolverines, and you know if they can get one tournament win, that'll end up being a pretty positive season overall. So you look at some of the French teams in college basketball, and we're going to play a multiple-choice game here on Brewster Sports Talk where we're going to have Matt Norlander select one of four answers here. So I'm going to rattle off some quick questions here and some quick multiple-choice answers. So we okay, have, let's do it, man. We have four French teams. We have Mississippi, Missouri, Minnesota, and West Virginia. Did you get those four? Mississippi, Missouri, Minnesota, West Virginia? Yep, correct. Which team are you buying? Which team's making it to the big dance? I'm buying uh, I'm buying Missouri because I love the guards. I'm definitely not buying – I'm buying Missouri over Mississippi. Minnesota's getting there, but, yeah, they got some stumbles. So give me the Tigers. But that's actually – that's a really good one, man. Those are free, pretty evenly balanced – teams in terms of ability and resume but i'll take the tigers i just like marshall henderson so i mean i I do love brown i love clarkson i like how they play uh mississippi's a really fun team i always root for them because of of marshall henderson so he's he's an entertaining guy don't get me wrong uh but uh i think they rely on him too much to shoot up the three ball so i i have doubts about all this we got we got five point guards now. We're gonna ha- if you were a GM now, uh, put on your GM hat now. And if you could select one point guard to lead your team in March, one floor general. We our choices are Aaron Kraft, Nick Johnson, Scotty Wilbekin, Keith Appling, or Fred Van Fleet of the Wichita State Shockers. That's another really really good one. I'm going to go Appling because Van Vliet's good, but he's gonna he's, he can be better. Kraft can't shoot enough, even though I love Kraft's game and his defensive 
ability. Um, who were the other ones you had in there? I had I had Nick Johnson, Johnson. and and Scotty Wilbekin. Well, Johnson's not really a true point guard, um, and Wilbekin is solid. Uh, he's close, but Appling's and to me, it, it, being a senior, he has the whole package. He's gotten a lot better this year. Really tough kid, tough minded, and tough physically. So give me Appling. It's a good choice. Competitive kid. I do like Freddie Van Vliet of Wichita. Just cool. He's just really cool on the basketball court, and he's a clutch player. So I might take Freddie there, a little underdog for the Valley. All right. All right, Matt, we got a couple more questions here, and then we'll let you run. Again, thank you so much for uh, adding the Bruce to Sports Talk. You're welcome back anytime, and uh, you're one of the best names in college basketball. So we're honored to have you on the show. Thank you, but you're too kind. So, so like, when you watch so much basketball, is there an app to fast-forward past free throws? I mean, does it ever get, like, so – do you ever just get overthrown with basketball, overloaded with watching so much hoops? Uh, yeah, no, I do. Uh, and I watch so much of it, and I DVR plenty of games. But I also make it a point to almost, like, during the season, uh, occasionally I won't have to watch at night because, you know, one of our other writers, whether it's my colleague Jeff Borzella or Gary Parrish or whatever – will be on or Fridays kind of don't have a lot of hoops during the season I at least two nights a week I try not to watch just because one I'm married and I want to give time to my wife and that's obviously key to a healthy marriage two it keeps the battery charged in a way where um if I can take one night away uh, or two nights away I don't get completely bogged down by everything and everything and everything so um I love it when I watch it and when I watch it I watch it in full and sometimes I'll I'll tape a game that I know I can't watch in the moment if I want to watch another one uh, but it's uh, it's definitely a work of passion man and I am very lucky to do what I do do you dual screen it up like ESPN 3 and TV like you have a little man cave oh, at yeah, the normal yeah so I got uh, I've got two computers that I can bring stuff up on and I got the TV as well so I got a, a three screen setup is the max and by the way anything more than that some would argue if you're watching more than two games you're not watching any I think you can handle three with some competency but once you get to that fourth game your eyes are darting a little too much and you can't really take in anything that's happening except seeing a score or perhaps like a really big play right yeah or else you're just going to get overblown with information I mean watching the tournament that that's even tough to follow at times and uh, I guess you got to let your wife have the bachelor on a tv channel Exactly. Or, yeah, or, you know, sometimes we'll catch up on the DVR, do some, some new girl, some... Uh, <laughs> okay. Girl all right, all right. We'll let those go. I mean, I was thinking more True Detective, a little masculine show We're, for Northern. not... Listen, that show is getting crazy good reviews. I'm going to get to it after the season. I just... I, it's too busy right now. I can't get invested. So once the season's over, it's going to be... It's, yeah, it's going to be turn-up time. Night, True Detective the next night, Madden the next night. That's, how That's a great way to do it because you don't want to just just waste all that good television right in the heat of college basketball. You In the offseason, you got to have something to look forward to. Exactly. Last question for you. You're a big fan of college basketball. I remember in middle school so many times I would throw tantrums at my parents because they would have tutors over the house when the tournament is on. What's your best story from your middle school or high school days of you either missing school to watch a tournament game or what What did you do, say to your parents to convince you to let you watch the tournament? Do you have any interesting stories about that? Well, I, you know, I don't know how interesting it is, but I will say this, um, I definitely, for whatever reason, 
and I was I was uh, I was a dumb little boy. But I remember in middle school, I always wanted to stay home to watch the conference tournaments and not the NCAA tournament. Uh, and it's not like I didn't realize what the NCAA tournament was, but I guess because I mean I'm talking like I'm, I have vivid memories of being in my parents' upstairs bedroom watching the ACC tournament in seventh grade and uh, basically getting to call out sick on, on Thursday and Friday. Um, and then I remember getting to high school and being like, wait a second, like there's two straight weeks of amazing basketball happening here during the, the middle of the day. So um, I definitely was able to call it sick just about every year. And uh, the coolest thing I remember was my – eighth grade social studies teacher he did two things that we loved one on the thursday and friday of the of the ncaa tournament we did not have class he let us watch it was an afternoon class Mm -hmm. and he let us watch the tournament right which was awesome and i remember ah, i'd have to look i remember we definitely watched arizona get threatened to be beaten or or were beaten one of those years where they were really good seed this would have been okay 95. Wow. Yeah, it would have been 94, 95. <laughs> Walk right down memory lane. Um, so one of those years might have been the year Santa Clara beat him in 93. So uh, so he let us do that, and he also uh, he gambled he gambled with eighth grade students, which, uh, which obviously wasn't the smartest thing. But the gamble was you pick the final four, and he picked the final four. And uh, if you, any of your teams got in, you uh he bought you a, a coke from the machine but yeah. if none of them got in that, that's not that big of a deal a coke and it was uh it was a cool little way of getting me to be a degenerate uh college basketball fan yeah that's a good story just like i feel i don't know i just feel like it's a little amateur hour when you're watching games in school at that point you're just depressed that you can't just go home and watch all of the basketball games and from sarah you're from upstate connecticut so i'm surprised you mentioned the acc tournament i guess in the 90s it was better than the uh Dievendorf six overtime games of the big east tournament that's that's yeah, fun at that time actually i live in connecticut now but i grew up in vermont so uh the University of Vermont was the local team, of course, and uh, yeah, for whatever you know, just it was. I just specifically do, and I remember watching the Big East as well. But for whatever reason, I have vivid memories of uh, of Randolph Childress at Wake Forest, and and you name it on down the line, those mid nineties ACC tournaments. That's great, and uh, yeah, thanks, Matt. That was a lot of fun, and uh, have a great night, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Enjoy the rest of the season. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, 610-521-6063. 
For consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm here with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard. Hope you guys are doing well, getting through this tough winter. I want to lead off with a very animated replay of Coach Jim Beheim, Syracuse Orange men in crunch time against the Duke Blue Devils. Let's set the scene. Fair is driving the baseline. He goes up. There's contact. It looks like a three-point play, but no, it's an offensive foul. 60-58 to is the score. Syracuse is down by two. They've battled back from a six-point deficit to cut the lead to two points. And right here you're thinking, okay, this is the possession that's going to separate the game right now. This is winning time right here. So you looked at Syracuse. They got the ball to the hole. C.J. Fair, you know, Ennis makes a nice pass to Fair. And then Hood slides over really at the last minute. And he does. He's not in the restricted area, so it is technically a charge, um, a charging zone. But it appeared that it was a very tough call to be made right on the spot. But he got there a little bit late. It happened on the replay. It looked like he was moving. So I definitely, if the if the guys, if the refs could have seen the replay and not had it real time, it would have been a block, no question about it. But since they had to make it real time, they called a charge. But the thing that is really confusing about this new rule, and I say new because at the beginning of the college basketball season, the refs made a clear emphasis that there wanted to be more scoring. And if there's more scoring, that means more calls are getting rewarded to the offensive player that's driving to the rack. They want freedom of movement, but also score gets increased by free throws. So block charge calls, you're going to call blocks, so then the guy can go to the foul line. Earlier in the game, Jabari Parker made a layup, and it was the same sort of thing where the Syracuse guy slid in there at the last second, held his ground, and they called it an and one. So I get why Bayheim was livid, and of course it, it, Syracuse is down by two. So if that play, if it's no call or a block, the Cuse have a good chance of winning the game or at least sending it to overtime. But since the call was a charge, that's the one call that would really detriment the Cuse in winning the basketball game. So 
if say like Fair gets the and one, he goes to the foul line with a good opportunity. I think he shoots around eighty percent. There's a good chance that the Cuse could go up by one and have ten seconds left to get a stop and win the basketball game. But instead, you're now down by two. You have to foul Duke two times to send him to a one and one. It's still possible. Bruce, what I want to ask you is if you're a coach, do you understand Bayheim's frustration? And what do you make of what ensued after the block and the call and the charge controversy in Cameron Indoor Stadium? What do you make of the whole Bayheim reaction? Well, I personally like it a lot. You know, I like I like his fire. There's there's been criticism through the years of Bayheim of just being a little bit detached. Not necessarily, you know, very good coach. You know, obviously has you know is one of the most winning coaches around, but some people think at times he's detached. He was all in right there. That was the end of the game, and and he believed in his heart that they had won the game. It would have been a three point play. They're they're playing away, and um, and I think that his whole team's got his back. You know, I mean, he used that word. He used a curse word over and over again, which basically is the synonym for. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And we know what the word is. And it, what, I, I thought it was a bit humorous when he tried to pull his jacket off and he couldn't. So, um, you know, I, I think it was really an exciting, riveting time. He's all in. And it was, it was dramatic. There were two great games. Both, both Syracuse-Duke games are great. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of all this restructuring of the leagues, but... Having both of those teams, the ACC, make, makes for some great games. It does, and I, I did love the old Big East because it was just such a stacked conference. It's sad to see Louisville and Cincinnati in a conference where you have five teams at the top of the American and you have five teams that are just not competitive at all. There's such a divide, and the old Big East was absolutely stacked. In Madison Square Garden around mid-March, that was must-see television there at the Big East tournament um, in New York City. What I want to ask you is, we staying on this topic, if C.J. Fair was the guy that followed the refs, that was hopping around, that was yelling that curse word, what would be his punishment? How would how would people view Fair if he acted like Jim Beheim did? I'm not sure, and I don't usually say those words often, but I, I think as long as he didn't physically go after the ref, and you know, look at Bam, he didn't he didn't go after the ref. He didn't. He didn't physically get in his face. He just. He just yelled at him. He came onto the court. You're not allowed to do that. You know. He's supposed to stay in the coaching box. If Fair would have gone crazy like that, he would have. He would have got two technicals, and he would have been kicked out. Maybe he would have gotten suspended because the game was a high profile game. So possibly the Big East commissioner. But I, I just don't think it's a big deal. It's not like Marcus Smart going in attacking a fan in the stands for any reason. It happens all the time, but. I, I think Fair, you know, to his credit, you know, was, was even tempered. You know, he's Fair, in my view, is one of the top five players in the league. He's going to be a great NBA player. And he put a wonderful move on with great touch at the end of the game. Went right at it. It showed a lot of heart to me. And it was a close call. There's been a lot of discussion about it. I've heard, I've listened to a lot of experts. 
And I think it's about split like 50-50 whether it was a, a charge or a block. The point where I agree with Bayheim is that the, at the beginning of the year, they're making an emphasis on block and charge calls. And you got to go by what you were putting to the forefront of this college basketball season in the first couple of weeks, which is that you're going to call more fouls and favor the offensive player. And he got there late. And so I didn't agree with the call, but I'll give fairness to the ref. He was outside the restrictive area. It was a tough call to make. It's a bang-bang play. What I think would have happened if a player did this, and this is why I think the double standard is absolutely absurd, is that I think if Fair did, acted like Bayheim did, I think Bayheim would actually yell at Fair and actually be very upset at what the player did. And he would say, you cost us the game. They were going into a one-on-one situation. And you said that that was pretty much the game. And that was a very important play. But Duke still is at one and one. So they could still really, that free throw is a lot of pressure. They could they could really miss that front end of the one and one. I know Syracuse's chances of winning are not high, but that game, that officially ended the game. But the point is, as a coach, you're always preaching to your guys to be calm in situations and not let refs affect the outcome of the game is to be true to yourself and not at let the outside influences creak in. And if you're if you're Tyler Ennis or CJ Fair, you're thinking, wow, this coach of ours just totally blew up, lost his composure, and lost the game. So if I was the coach, I would definitely say an apology. It doesn't warrant him to go onto the court almost taking off his jacket, hopping around around and yelling at the official because a player as a player you cannot do that but since Bayheim has this this reputation you know people look at it and laugh about it like you did um but I happen to take the uh, you know I've happened to go over this a lot think about this a lot the last couple of days and it just doesn't send a good message to your team I understand why Bayheim did it it was heat of the moment and it probably won't happen again because one thing about Bayheim is this this was one of the only, few times that he's really gotten ejected so it's a great debate on coaches just because you see this all the time in college basketball you see coaches losing their cool, and when as if players do it, like Marcus Smart, you refer to the the uh, the consequences are much larger. It looks like we're wrapping up this segment of Bruce the Sports Doc, but when we come back, we are going to have a discussion that I am very excited for. We are going to talk about the NFL draft and the combine. If you're Bill O'Brien in the Houston Texans and you got the first overall pick, who are you taking first overall? It's it's me and Bruce right here on Voice America Sports. Stay there. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific time 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. The Sports Maverick Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moyet, a.k.a. the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Maverick Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listeners will be engaged in straightforward talk, spontaneous and unscripted by the experts. Ida and her guests will explore the challenges of success and failure in sports and will help athletes and their parents navigate the transition from high school, college, and then on to the pros. We put fun back into sports and recognize role models in sports through our Sports Mavericks All-Star Award program. Tune in Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Ida Mouillet and the Sports Mavericks Show right here on The Voice. America Sports Channel. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. It's time to let the ladies do some sports talking around here. The Sports Girls take over the Voice America Sports Channel every Monday for The Inside Score. Beth Silverberg, Chin Chin Ong, and Julie Bueller are here to showcase the athletes, the coaches, and the foundations that change lives. In addition, we'll have a ton of regular features and a featured guest sports girl every week. You'll hear the stories you need to hear from the people that make the difference. The Inside Score is heard every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern or Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You 
are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the fourth and final segment, March edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. And last but not least, we got to talk about the action in the Midwest at Lucas Oil Stadium, which is really the NFL's collaboration. And it's really a uh, the first event that kicks off the NFL season is the NFL Combine, where we get to see guys just in their purest form, I guess. Well, not not necessarily in pads, but in gym shorts. And uh, they're running around and uh, running 40s, doing bench presses, and just showing off their skill and natural raw ability. Bruce, what I wanted to kick off this discussion with is how much value do you place in the combine, in the activities that they're – in the festivities that these athletes are taking part in? Personally – I, I don't I don't place much emphasis on the combines. I um, being an Eagles fan, I remember again a Mike Mamula, who happens to be a great guy, still in the area, um, doing very well in business. But Ray Rhodes decided, based on the combine, that this guy, you know, was fast, and that, that, that somehow his combine performance would translate into um, into sacks in the NFL. I think he set the record for a stat that they don't keep, which is um, near sacks, almost sacks. And he did that all the time. And so the Eagles, with Andy Reid, they're always, you know, they they, uh, they drafted Brandon Graham. Guys that they always say have big motors. So many guys I've seen are busts who just have big motors in the combine. And I, I, I just trust what I see with my eyes. You know, Johnny Manziel, who cares if he's five foot eleven and a half? I don't really care how he runs his 40 or how many bench presses he does and whether Clowney, you know, against somebody else, you know, could bench press 16, another guy could bench press 14. You know, it just it just doesn't matter to me. I, th- I think it's a bit of a show. The NFL is, is a really good league, and they're very smart. They fill now they fill 12 months of the year with stuff. For me, this combine is like filler. I'm just not interested in it. Um, you know, I, I think it's just an excuse for the coaches to get together and, and have an, another party, another week. And, um, you know, guys, you know, I look what a guy puts the pads on, have his heart. I look, I'd rather look at game film. These combines, you know, these guys are all great athletes. I mean, they're, they, they're all specimens running around in Nike shorts and, you know, looking all like, like T.O. used to look in, in his tights. It just it doesn't interest me at all. It's it's not football. Well, I think the combine still serves purpose because the two guys that were at the top of the forty yard dash were guys from Murray State, guys that played Division One A football that you never would have heard of, guys that are not on national television on Saturdays and that are not on ESPN three. In that sense, for these guys to come out here and, and kind of market themselves, it's just a a brilliant opportunity for these for these young kids, especially guys like I mentioned from schools that are not 
in power conferences in Division One football. So, uh, and also if you're a coach, you you can't blame them for wanting to get together. I mean, it's a really special time. You know, the the juices, the competitive juices are are kind of withdrawn at this stage of the season. So you're kind of just appreciating each other, and everyone's in a good mood, looking forward to the season. But at the same time, you know, your your encounterments aren't that serious yet because you're not even into uh, mini camps and uh, in the summer uh, sessions. What I think about the combine is there's a lot of intangibles I would look for in a guy. I would really look for someone that is a good teammate and someone that shows great effort and loves the game of football. I think that that's really important. I mean, even though a guy might be a physical freak, in the NFL he's going to come across guys that are more of his kind, where in college you're playing against a lot of times lesser competition. So I do think personality matters, and I actually would like the NFL to extend the interview time to 30 minutes because I don't think you can get to know someone in 15. I think that part I would really enjoy, kind of picking a player's brain to kind of see what kind of character he is. Because you look at Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, the guys that win the Super Bowls, and those guys all have character and intangibles. So that that's important. Uh, you know, in some ways, like Jadavion Clowney, you know, everyone's making a big deal that he kind of tanked his junior season. And it's tough if you're in Clowney's shoes because you can't get injured, you're not getting paid, there's so much to lose and nothing really to gain. My question to you is, Bruce, is where where do you see Clowney going? Where would you take him? Are you worried about how he had Spurrier batted heads? and the controversy kind of junior year of him sitting out games over so-called injuries. Like, does that really matter to you so much? And where do you see Clowney going? Would you take him first overall, that that sort of thing? Well, I've seen him. uh, I think he's going to be a very good player. The question is, is he going to be great? Is he going to be Lars Taylor? And he had the one great hit in his sophomore year. That, that The one hit kind of turned him into a legend. And I thought he was a bit overvalued this year. You know, there were a lot of guys that, that you know, he's, he's great size, great speed. And ultimately, what really matters in the NFL's heart. What I, do I think he's number one? Should the Texans take him number one? I'm not. I'm not really in favor of that. I don't, I don't think we could look at guys who who were pass rushers, who, who were uh, like Mario Williams was taken at the top of the draft. And if I'm the Houston Texans, and I have a chance for Johnny Manziel, who is a superstar rock, you know, rock hero, mo- most exciting player, if I'm the owner, I, I'd be very tempted to take him because I, I think he is a very good player. He's very exciting. I mean, Tim Tebow was like that. He was a lightning rod. Everybody was Tebow mania. Everything was Tebow mania. We forget it. I mean, that just dissipated like flash paper. But if all the Texans, and I got Matt Schaub, who's kind of been sliding back each year just towards mediocrity, and, and he's past his prime, you have a chance to bring Manziel in. You, you create a hole. It just becomes exciting. It does. I could see O'Brien going another route. 
I could because they already have Arian Foster. I mean, that team is really a playoff team, and just the lack of the quarterback position really hurt them. And I thought that their character kind of wavered, you know, at the end of the season with Gary Kubiak, and he had some health problems, but also at the same time he's been coaching a while and has he, he couldn't get it done in the playoffs when he eventually got there, which took a while for him in the first place. He was there nine years. The whole culture was stale. Now that O'Brien coming in, you know, he could fire up the troops, and you've seen coaches come into their first season and really ignite a playoff run. It's not so far-fetched to think that a coach in his first season could take a team deep into the playoffs you saw Rex Ryan do it you saw Harbaugh do it so if I was Houston it's such a tough decision because if you look at who you have already you have J.J. Watt an elite pass rusher so if you put him and a healthy Jadavion Clowney on the field at the same time that's dynamite then you could do what the Seahawks did and play a 3-4 defense and now would be pretty uh that would be a lethal defense. That would be absolutely fantastic. And then you can get a guy like McCarron, who has a great head on his shoulders, knows how to win, knows how to convert tough third downs. That's a route I could really see them going. As a fan, as a Houston Texans fan, boy, it's just so tough because Manziel, I love his character, actually. A lot of people will say, well, he's out with Drake. He's partying with LeBron James, James Harden. You know, he's out there with the Duck Dynasty guys. All he is is just all flash. He just is in it to meet Steve Nash and celebrities and all this stuff. But when I look at Manziel is that he's proven that even though he loves to have fun and even though his celebrity status has risen the great heights, risen the great heights, He's a guy that knows when to focus as well. That's the most special trait you can have. You look at all the popular kids in high school who end up going to great colleges. They have that versatility when they know how to be a funny, charming guy, when they know how to kick back and not be serious, but they also know when to turn it on. Like when they're taking a test or when they're at home and there's no friends around, they know that it's time to get down and study. And that's what Manziel is. He's special. You can't pin him down under one, you know, under one sphere. He's not a guy who's boring who's just going to be like driven to the job he's a guy who loves the cameras and I don't blame him he's 20 years old and the people that don't like him are just jealous of all the connections he has because really who wouldn't be so again my answer it's a really tough answer the safer route is going with McCarran and going with Clowney but Manziel's too special I'll say Johnny Manziel he's just too special of a player well this show has passed quickly we want to thank all the listeners for tuning in to Bruce the Sports Doc on behalf of my co-host Petra the Wizard uh, just want you to have a great week we're going to be back next week with a new show and it's really getting excited because we've got conference tournaments on the way and March Madness just around the corner thanks for listening and have a good night Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 